today my role is twofold. I will be the narrator and also reading the role of Agrippa. Kate will be reading the role of Festus and David will be reading the role of Paul. If you're looking for it in the plain covered Bible, it's on page 792. On the fancy covered Bible, it's 1122. Acts chapter 25. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priests and Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented their charges against Paul. They urgently requested Festus, as a favour to them, to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing to ambush and kill him along the way. Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there, if he has done anything wrong. After spending eight or ten days with them, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul appeared, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Then Paul made his defence. I have done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews or against the temple of Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favour, said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court, where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his council, he declared, You have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, There is a man here whom Felix left as a prisoner. When I went to Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them that it is not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he has faced his accusers and has had an opportunity to defend himself against their charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day and ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus whom Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters, so I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. When Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear this man myself. And he replied,
He replied, tomorrow you will hear him. It's not highlighted. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, prompt, pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in, and Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought to not live any longer. I found that he had done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send on a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hands and began his defence. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defence against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way I have lived since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O King, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the Gentiles also, 
I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day, and so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer, and as the first to raise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defence. You are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely with him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was, done, it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Short time or long, I pray, God, I pray to God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. The king rose and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. They left the room and while talking with one another they said, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And uh, folks, um, let's bow in prayer now as we uh, come to think about this uh, uh, amazing passage of scripture. Uh, so let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, giving us your word and uh, the accounts uh, that it provides for us of uh, your working uh, in terms of getting the gospel out to our people and into our world. And we pray for each of us now that you'd help us to uh, focus our minds and you'd soften our hearts that uh, we would hear, that we would believe, and that we would act. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How long do you think it might take for a person who's not a Christian to hear the gospel, believe the gospel, and become a Christian? How long do you reckon that that might take? I once heard that it, it said that uh, statistically, uh, for ordinary Aussies, uh, who've become Christians, uh, they've needed to hear the gospel a, on average a certain number of times uh, before they have turned to Jesus. And uh, I think that was said in the context of uh, trying to be an encouragement to Christians to uh, not give up sharing the gospel with someone when you shared it with them just once and they've uh, rejected it, but to keep on sharing the gospel with people over and over again uh, <clears throat> over the months, over the years, even over decades. But what if there's an opportunity before you to share the gospel uh, with someone who you think you may never meet again? This is your only opportunity ever to share the gospel with them. Might they believe the gospel after only hearing it just once? And from you? Well, this is actually an important question, uh, which, uh, because it affects um, our boldness 
It affects how bold we might be uh, in telling other people about Jesus. And it's a boldness which we see with, I think, with great clarity uh, in the drama of Acts chapters 26 and 27. Now, that was a uh, big chunk of scripture that we read uh, earlier on, wasn't it? But, you know, Paul said to Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. Uh, it was a long passage of scripture, but it, it was dramatic, don't you think? It's a dramatic story. Uh, as the Apostle Paul uh, is held prisoner whilst the powers that be play politics with his life. Now, I love watching political dramas on television, do you? Uh, you know, back in the old days, we used to watch... Any, any fans of the West Wing here? Yeah, absolutely. You can, uh, and uh, uh, I guess the Netflix era, what would be designated Survivor? Uh, or during an Australian election campaign, just turn on TV and watch the news. <laughs> Uh, for all of the, uh, the drama, the, the, uh, the plots, the intrigues and, and the powerful, uh, powerful people and powerful personalities. And in today's passage, we meet some powerful people. But to recap, why was Paul a prisoner? Well, in the story so far, <clears throat> uh, Paul, uh, we saw... A couple of weeks ago, he was, uh, three weeks ago, he was in Jerusalem. He'd gone to Jerusalem to uh, present, to give some gifts to, from the Gentile Christians to the Jerusalem church. And it was whilst he was in Jerusalem that um, he, was, he was attacked, wasn't he, uh, at the temple. And then he was arrested. He was arrested in Jerusalem. And because of a plot uh, by... Jews to actually ambush him and to kill him, uh, the Romans uh, transferred Paul uh, to their administrative centre, which was in the city of Caesarea, where he went on trial before the Roman governor of the time named Felix. <clears throat> and we learnt about that last week. Uh, Felix, we uh, heard that last week that he, Paul, he he listened to Paul. Paul was on trial. But, um, but Felix adjourned the case. Uh, he didn't finish the case off. He adjourned the case and he kept Paul in prison for a couple of years uh, while he himself actually uh, left. He uh, finished up his job there and he left for, for the next Roman governor to, uh, to deal with the Apostle Paul. So now... Uh, that brings us up to date. If you'd care to open up your Bibles at Acts chapter 25. Now, a new Roman governor has been appointed and his name is Festus. Now, if you were a, um, a freshly minted uh, Roman governor in uh, the province of Judea, uh, how would you try to control the local Jewish leaders? You know, the chief priests and the Sanhedrin and well-established uh, native leaders. How would you seek to control them? Well, you could go in their boots and all and just let them know who's boss. That would be one approach. Uh, or you might like to um, show them some goodwill. And that's what the, the Jews were hoping for in verse 3 when the new Roman governor, Festus, uh, visits them in Jerusalem and they're hoping that he'll do, go the, the goodwill strategy. 
So they ask him for a favour. And here's the favour. That Festus, who would transfer Paul, who's in prison in Caesarea, back to Jerusalem for trial. Now, why would they want that? Was it because they thought, well, he's going to get a a fairer, a better trial in Jerusalem? No, that wasn't the reason. Uh, What we're told in verse 3, the reason they wanted him to be transferred back to Jerusalem is that they were plotting that en route that they would ambush him, that they would kill him, and that he would be done away without any trial whatsoever. Now, There are two things which the Romans thought would be particularly good for their empire. Uh, One was good roads. They built good roads to connect the whole empire together. Good roads. The other one, good order. And so these Jews have now actually uh, given Festus his first dilemma in his new job. Because he wanted to do the Jews a favour to get on in their good books with them, but he also wanted to uphold good Roman order. And he uh, probably already knew uh, that the Jews had previously uh, plotted to kill Paul. That was why he was in Caesarea. And it just wouldn't look so great on Festus's record if that happened again and it happened because he had ordered Paul to go back to Jerusalem. So instead, what does he do? Well, he invites the the Jewish leaders, uh, the chief priests and so on, to come to Caesarea and to press their charges against Paul there. Now, that's not fair, is it? I mean, it's not exactly, you know, double jeopardy where, you know, you can't be tried for the same you know, crime twice. But Paul has already been put on trial once and it's not fair, you know, it's not his fault that the um, <clears throat> the previous Roman governor decided just to not finish the job, to not finish the case. And now he has to go through it all again. Same charges from the Jews, same defence from Paul and still no basis for a conviction under Roman law. But Governor Festus still wants to be in the good books with the Jews. Check out verse 9 with me, if you like. We're looking at chapter 25 now. In verse 9, Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favour, said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there? on these charges. And Paul might be thinking, well, I already stood trial in in Caesarea before Felix on these charges. I've just stood trial before you in Caesarea in in respect to these charges, and now you want me to go through it a third time? I mean, you know, just logically, it's a long shot, isn't it? But uh, his reasoning would be that if Paul does agree to go to Jerusalem and he gets ambushed on the way, then Festus can say, well, it wasn't my fault. Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem. He wanted the trial location to be changed. But Paul's no fool. Now, something which we see in the Bible and we see, we experience in our own Christian lives as well, is that God 
sometimes uses the sinful behaviour of people to bring about his goodwill and purpose. Have you noticed that? We see it in the Bible, don't we? Um, Think about Joseph. You know, like when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. Or when Judas Iscariot sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Um, What man intends for evil, what does God do? God uses it for for good. And here, this uh, this wicked pressure on Paul uh, to go to Jerusalem to meet his death there leads Paul, as a Roman citizen, to answer Festus with four important words. I'm going to read to you again from verses 10 to 11. Um, Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I've done nothing, uh, I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving of death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. And here are the four words, I appeal to Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. (laughs) Festus said said to him, hey Paul, how would you feel about um, going to Jerusalem to stand trial? Paul says, no thanks, I'm going to take my case to Rome (laughs) in that case. To Rome where God would open the door for Paul to preach the gospel in the most powerful city in the whole world. Anyone here been to Rome? I'd love to go, half the congregation been to Rome. Why why, why do people go to Rome? Because of the amazing buildings that were built around the time that Paul was there. (laughs) Such was that, such an important city, the most important city in the whole world. And Paul was now going to go there under God's sovereignty because of the wicked actions of these people in wanting to force him to go to Jerusalem. But before he gets to Rome, Paul now gets to preach the gospel to someone important. You see, when the uh, Romans invaded and conquered other other nations, uh, one of the things that they used to do in order to just try to keep um, the natives who they had conquered happy uh, would be to to allow them to have their own puppet kings. Uh, Like the the man we meet in verse 13, King Herod Agrippa II. He's just there called Agrippa. Uh, He was married. Well, he was married, sort of, uh, to a lady by the name of Bernice, uh, who was also his sister. Charming. Charming. And as any puppet king would do, um, he dropped by, dropped in at Caesarea uh, to say hello to the new Roman governor. And uh, two of them got chatting and ended up chatting about the the puzzling case of Paul, where Festus, the Roman governor, tries to make himself out to be a bit of a good guy here. Uh, he doesn't want to say anything to, um, to, uh, to uh, the king about wanting to do a favour for the Jews just to butter them up. But uh, look at what he says. He says, the Jewish leaders, said Festus in verse 19, they didn't charge him with any crimes I expected. It was all about religious things. 
and a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. And King Agrippa's response? Well, I wouldn't mind hearing from this man myself. (laughs) That'd be interesting. Now, there's something absolutely amazing about this. You see, Herod Agrippa II is the great-grandson of a man by the name of Herod the Great. Remember him? Uh, He was the the king at the time when Jesus was born. And when Herod, King Herod the Great, uh, was told by the Magi that uh, a new king had just been born, uh, what did he try to do? He tried to kill Jesus, didn't he? By slaughtering all of the babies, the baby boys that uh, were less than two years old. Another charming member of the Herodian family. He tried to eliminate a rival king from growing up and uh, that was futile, wasn't it? Absolutely futile because God uh, had his plan. You know, there is a saying which comes up in this passage, in these chapters, that the Jews had. It's the saying, to kick against the goads. Uh, now, a goad uh, is a, apparently a stick which uh, farmers used to use to, to prod their animals uh, so as to, you know, to keep their animals moving and to guide their animals in the, in the right direction, like their cattle, their oxen and so on. And sometimes the animals would protest against this. <laughs> and the way they would express their protest by, would be by kicking. But um, it wouldn't stop the farmer from keep on prodding. They kept on having to move. It was futile action to kick against the goads by trying to kill Jesus. Herod the Great was kicking against the goads. And now, three generations later, decades later, that same King Herod the Great, his great-grandson, would hear from someone else who tried kicking against the goads. As the next day, as we move now into chapter 26, King Herod Agrippa meets the Apostle Paul. Now, uh, we could spend the next half an hour or so um, working through this passage, but I want to have morning tea as well, I'm sure you do. So I'm just going to give you the summarised version of it. And just imagine the scene. It's, um, this is not a formal trial. This is the king actually just wanting to hear from Paul. But the, the, the scene is set. There's a big grand room there and uh, King Herod uh, uh, um, <coughs> Agrippa has uh, turned up with his uh, um, lovely wife and sister and all of their entourage of the leading officials of the land and so on, and the governor is there, and so there's this big crowd of important people in this room, and basically Paul says two things to them. Firstly, Paul says, I understand the charges that the Jews are bringing against me. I mean, Festus has already told Agrippa uh, about Paul's claim that Jesus is alive. When you boil it all down, the charge against him is about resurrection. That's what it's about. But by believing in resurrection, Paul argues that he is being actually a faithful Jew, a true Jew. In fact, he says, I'm a Pharisee. 
That's how Jewish I am. Check it out in verse 6. Um, he says, I lived as a... So he's now addressing this, this big room full of important people, including the governor and the king. And he says, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God promised our fathers that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Why was Paul on trial? Because of his hope in what God had promised, which was that one day God's appointed king, God's king, who is also described by the prophets as being a suffering servant who would die, that that king would in fact rule, would reign, would uh, be, the, be the king over an everlasting kingdom. That's the hope of the Old Testament, isn't it? That's the Jewish hope. That's the messianic hope. That's what all Jews should believe. Problem is that Paul claims that Jesus is that king. That's why the Jewish leaders hate him. And his response to that in verses 9 through to 11 is, is simple. I get it. I get it is basically what he's saying. I understand why they hate me. Because I was once like them. I understand. I hated Christians. I hunted them down. I imprisoned Christians. I actually gave my approval to, to them being killed. I opposed the very name of Jesus. Until one day, I was on the way to hunt down some Christians. And in verse 13, Paul says, About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to, here it is, kick against the goats. And then I asked, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Herod the Great tried to eliminate the baby Jesus. Now, his great-grandson, <laughs> sitting on his throne, is confronted with the reality that this Jesus is in fact king. A king like no other, who from verses 16 through to 23 has appointed Paul to expand his kingdom... Uh, from Jerusalem from Ju to, to Judea and into all of the world by preaching Jesus to the Gentiles, that is, to the Romans. Have a look at verse 17. This is what Jesus said to Paul. He said, I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God, so that you may, they may receive forgiveness of sins 
and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So anyone, no matter who they are, Jewish, Greeks, Romans, anyone can actually now belong to this kingdom ruled by this king, King Jesus. So how does Governor Festus react to this? What does he think about it all? Well, in verse 24, he thinks that Paul's insane. He thinks that Paul's been studying too hard and he's gone crazy. Do people ever think that uh, you're a bit crazy for being a Christian? Ever think that? You know, I was once told that um, being a Christian was... um, was just a phase I was going through that um, I'd pretty soon come to my senses and snap out of it. That was 41 years ago. (laughs) And we would be crazy. Of course we'd be crazy. We'd be fools. Except for one thing. And that is that what Paul is saying here, as he says, is reasonable and true... And that is because Jesus really did rise from the dead. He met, uh, Paul met him and changed his life. What about King Agrippa? Well, he realises something. (laughs) He realises that he's actually being evangelised. He cottons on to that. Now, you know, some people think, well, you know, it's not polite to challenge you know, important people and leaders about their faith. Um, but, you know, Paul says, small or great, doesn't matter. You know, whether Paul was um, uh, sharing Jesus with a, um, you know, with a, 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 a jailer in, in Philippi or whether he's sharing Jesus with a king, his message doesn't change. doesn't change at all because... Great or small, rich or poor, powerful or all people need to hear about Jesus because all people need to be saved. Check out verse 27 (laughs) because here Paul, you know, Paul, Paul gets personal with the king. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? <laughs> what does Paul say? Short time or long time, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me here today, this whole room full of important people, may become what I am, except for these chains. I think uh, Agrippa's question is a good question, don't you? I mean, could Agrippa be persuaded to be a Christian in such a short time? Well, if it was just up to Agrippa, then no. No, he couldn't be because it's a spiritual matter. You know, Jesus had said to Paul that you need to go and to these people so that their eyes will be opened because in our natural state our eyes are closed, our hearts are hard and we are in the grip of the evil one. It's a spiritual matter. Which is why Paul says, I pray to God 
I pray to God. <clears throat> I pray to God that, you know, that, that God would work in the heart, really, of every person in that room, not just the king. And this, you know, really is why we can be bold. Um, my mother um, heard the gospel, you know, time and time again for you know, over 20 years um, before God melted her heart and she trusted in Jesus. I heard the gospel just once from a complete stranger. I don't know, didn't know, never met him before. I've never seen him since. I don't know what his name was. <laughs> I heard the gospel just once and God melted my heart. So, short time, long time. That's not the question. That's not the issue. The issue is that it's in God's time <laughs> because he is the one who transforms people's hearts. And our job <clears throat> is to simply tell people about Jesus. And it might be someone who you barely know, someone who you might meet down the street and you, you think, I'm never going to see this person ever again, but an opportunity comes up. It might be a person at work or at school who, I don't know, asks you, how's your weekend? You know what that's like, don't you? you? You tell them everything that you did on your weekend except for one thing, that you went to church, which could be the very thing which actually opens up a conversation that leads to something bigger. We need to seize every opportunity. With the complete stranger we may never see again, with the family member we see every single day, with the person who is poor and insignificant, with the person who is rich and powerful, no matter who they are, they need to be saved. And the great news is that as Paul testified, that when he preaches the gospel, when he stands, uh, when he talks to people about Jesus and when we talk to people about Jesus, we're not alone, are we? God is with us. That's why we can be bold. So what happened to Paul? Well, you know, in the end, um, both Festus and Agrippa <laughs> came to a conclusion and that was they said, we don't actually think that Paul has done anything wrong. <laughs> in fact, uh, we could have just released him, set him free, except for this one thing that he's already submitted his appeal to Caesar which means that next week uh, we get to learn about this amazing sea journey <laughs> that Paul goes on in order to get to Rome let's pray Father uh, again we want to thank you for your sovereignty uh, that it is you who changes people's hearts uh, that's not a question of whether it's the first time or the 50th time that a person hears the gospel, that um, it's your time. And we thank you uh, for the faithfulness of the Apostle Paul, the model that he used to us, that he didn't cower, that he didn't shy back, that he was uh, prepared to take it up to a king and a governor and to face off with them to actually get them personally to think about where they stand with you. We pray that that would be an example and encouragement to us as well.
I pray for each of us as we um, go about our business this week, um, and the people we meet, um, conversations that we have, that you would open up opportunities for us and that we would speak a word about Jesus uh, in the confidence that it is you who does the work of converting people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.